Welcome to Behind Business Trends Nuka Edition podcast, powered by Hashtag Mall Network. I am your host, Tanisha Irvin. This podcast spotlights trendy consumer brands in the Chattanooga, Tennessee area and is sponsored by the Company Lab. If you need help starting or growing your business, visit www.colab.co and schedule your first wayfinding meeting with a team member today. Today, we are here with Ben Vanderhart, the founder of Yellow Racket Records label and music store. Welcome, Ben. Thank you so much for having me. This is a really cool space. Thank you. It's really, really cool. I can't wait to kind of dive in and get to learn more about you and this amazing store that you have here. Thank you. Yeah, this <laughs> building was built in 1910, so it's got really? a lot of character. The Lots of character. I love it. So, Ben, before we talk about your business, I want to learn a little more about your background. So, if you don't mind, please tell us where you are from originally. Uh, I grew up in Davenport, Iowa, uh, which is about three hours west of Chicago, five hours north of St. Louis, so right, right in the middle of the Midwest. And uh, I went to Covenant College down here from 06 to 2010, and then okay. stuck around afterward. So, Do you have any um, memories from childhood that stick out? Any like favorite memories of growing up in Ohio? Um, in Iowa? I'm sorry, Iowa? <laughs> it's one of those, yeah. I, uh, people are always, Idaho, Idaho, Idaho. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, you know, I grew up in the middle of a cornfield, so, um, I mean, we had a, a gravel road. Our cars were super dirty all the time, and people would always make fun of us. We'd come out of the grocery store, and there'd be, like, writing <laughs> on our cars, you know, because about how dirty the car, like, wash me, you know. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was, uh, I didn't realize it at the time, but I guess it was kind of a, a unique environment to be, like, growing up, you know, on dirt yeah. roads in the middle of a cornfield. So were your family um, farmers, sharecroppers? No, my uh, dad actually ran a moving company. Uh, he ran an agency for Atlas Van Lines, so household goods moving. And I did that every summer, like from the age of 12. You know, I started going on the road with my dad. And he just, he happened to buy an old farmstead to like build his business on. So it was a, it was a bit of a strange, you know, you'd be driving like down <laughs> the middle of a cornfield onto this like farm, yeah. but there were like semis parked all around the farm and next to the barns and like all the cardboard boxes were stored inside barns. It's <laughs> <laughs> interesting. Yeah, it's yeah, very, <laughs> very unique as you, yeah. as you put it, very unique. So uh, Covenant College brought you south uh -huh. to the Chattanooga, Tennessee area. Yeah. Um, what was your college experience like and what did you major in? Uh, I majored in English because like that's what I was good at. You know, I didn't have a deep conviction about it. I was just like, well, I can get good grades in English. That's, you know, what I, that's yeah. just what I was good at. So, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do with it. Uh, and honestly, I was most passionate about music, but I didn't necessarily have all the skill set to, um, to, you know, be in a classical music program. And I don't mean classical as in a style, but just a traditional mm -hmm. musical pro music program. Um, so I was a music minor for, you know, like a semester and then and dropped it and, and went all the way through uh, with an English major and a psychology minor. Um, but, uh, you know, I was still just very passionate about music and spent a lot of time, you know, writing um, and playing in bands and learning to record in GarageBand on my own. That was the yeah. age of, you know, that was when GarageBand was a new thing. Um, and so in college, really, even though I was in, in the English program, my passion was still you know, music. I got out of college and uh, nobody cared that I had an English degree um, <laughs> from, from an employment standpoint. Um, and it was 2010, two years after, after the 08 recession. 
So we stayed here because we knew people, you know, there was, there was some sense of stability. Um, and, uh, uh, and I ended up getting a job at a warehouse in Lookout Valley because I had grown up around trucks and, and warehouses. And so people were like, English, eh, you've worked in a warehouse? Okay, like, come on. So uh, I did that for a few months and then eventually got hired on full time at that company uh, in transportation. And I spent the next eight years in the logistics industry, working at Kenco, which is yeah, headquartered yeah. here. Um, but, uh, you know, over time, I, I, I couldn't get rid of that, that bug, um, you know, that, that music, you know, that I'd been bitten by the, the music bug. Let's, and, let's and I talk couldn't, about that. So yeah. it was my passion. And after eight years, I, I couldn't put it off anymore. And, I, and, um, and so we decided, I, I left my corporate job and uh, was producing a record for my band at the time, and we decided to start a record label. And so uh, Yellow Racket Records was born two years ago. We put out my band's record, started signing other artists, some local, one of them based in Portugal. Uh, and uh, and kind of I, I had this vision to, to start a record store as well that would kind of complement the label and, and give us an opportunity uh, to kind of fill a niche in the market here for, for music lovers and record lovers. So yeah, that brings I like us that. To now. That brings us to, to right now. Yeah, so, I mean, I have so many questions. So... You, you said, you know, you found out that music was your passion. So, like, are you a musician? What instruments do you play? Yeah, uh -huh. Like, how, how did we go from... I'm a, I'm a guitarist and a songwriter, and, and I play in a band called Telemonster. And um, I do started... Do you sing as well? Yeah. Uh -huh. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I, I was producing my band's album, and, um, and uh, yeah, I just, I, I felt like... I wanted to do something with music. That was what I cared about the most. That was your and passion. That was what I was passionate about, yeah. yeah. And I think the longer that I spent uh, in a corporate environment, um, the more I just felt like I, I wasn't. In fact, while I was at Kenco, uh, they had us take a, like an employee engagement survey. And one of the questions was, do you have the opportunity to do what you do best every day? Mm. And that was, that was a, a big ball. tipping point for me. I was like, yeah. no, I don't. I'm not using my passion and my skills to the fullest extent. Um, and so I think that engagement survey kind of had the opposite effect mm -hmm. of what it intended, you know, um, uh, and that it actually made me think, I think I think I need to quit and do something with music. Man, um, I salute you for taking that, that leap of faith. <laughs> so did you know at that moment, like, what you wanted to do and how you were going to navigate out of it? Or was it like the next day you were like, I'm out of here? Or did, was no, it like a it process? No, it was very, it was very planned. I mean, I, I was recording my band's album for like two years leading up to like the month I quit was the month that we put out our first album and announced that it was on our new record label. Um, and so it was, it was very planned, it was very calculated, but certainly very risky because a record label is a very risky business, even more so than in the store, but I, you know, at the time, I thought the record store was gonna be like 10 years down the road. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, working um, on the label side of things was so challenging and, and so risky um, that it just made sense to like jump into the record store sooner rather than later. And I'm very, I'm very glad that we, that we did. When you look back over your, your life now, do you feel like you always had plans on being an entrepreneur somewhere or being a boss? Or... I think about that all the time. I resented my dad a lot growing up because he was a business owner. You yeah. know, he ran his own moving company and, and it seemed like he was working all the time. But I think uh, I understand, 
you know, I, I, now I see in myself it that it was, yeah, an right. Entrepreneur, right. Yeah. Um, and I think that the reason he was an entrepreneur was because of a desire uh, to be creative, to be free, to do what he wanted mm -hmm. um, and, and to sort of, uh, you know, be the captain of his own ship, as it were. Man, that, so, that's the dream, right? Yeah. <laughs> to be the captain of your own ship. And now you are in that role, right? Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting, though, I, I was listening to a podcast recently, and I hope this isn't too much of a rabbit trail, but it was no. talking about how um, it's a podcast called Philosophize This, and they were talking about how uh, there's an exchange that happens between uh, freedom and uh, security. And every time that you gain a little bit of freedom, you're typically giving up a certain amount of security. So mm. for me, you know, I, I had been, it resonated with me because I felt that uh, uh, it was, a, you know, a pinge that was like, yeah, I um, I left the corporate world to go do exactly what I wanted to do, but I gave up a stable income, I mm -hmm. gave up health benefits, and, and kind of the security that you get by being plugged into something that, it, it's a bit like a security blanket. It's like, we're gonna I, take care of this for yes, you, right? I totally agree. That I had the same experience when yeah. I left corporate to get into real estate because you mm -hmm. don't get a set check every, right. you know, yeah. every two weeks. So I, I totally understand yeah. that. So um, you get a lot of freedom, but you also give up something and it, there's a lot of anxiety that comes it is, with it. But it activates like that hustle mindset. It, it activates that, you know, where you have to grind and you yeah. have to make, you know, you have to make sure that, that things happen, you yeah. know, you're responsible for that. So let's talk about um, Yellow Racket, right? Um, so you said the business originally started in 2000, last year? 2018. Oh, 2018. We put, we put out our first okay. record. That was when we started the label. We didn't open our store here, which is technically a separate business, but both under the Yellow Racket name. Mm -hmm. So this store opened in August of last year. And what inspired you to create your brand? Um, at that, what what does that name come from anyway? Yellow racket. Yeah, it's just the you know is that the, 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 the easy, color that you see when you hear the music, or I th yeah, the easy answer is just it's that it's a name that I liked and I wanted to pick a name that nobody else had claimed to. Okay. You know, uh, it I like that it sort of sounds like yellow jacket, but it's it not. Uh, I like that, you know, yellow can mean cowardly or it can just be like the color of fall. Mm -hmm. I like that racket can mean noise or a scam or, you know, a tennis yeah. racket. Uh, I'm, I just, I, I sort of like the uncertainty and, and the idea that like I can own this name, mm -hmm. like nobody else gets this name. It definitely has a ring to it. I like it. What is the message behind the brand Yellow Racket? Well, overall, um, we are just trying to create memorable experiences for people who really love music. So whether that's like attending a concert or, you know, hearing an incredible piece of music from one of our artists for the mm -hmm. first time or buying a record here in our store, um, it's becoming easier and easier for music to kind of become background noise. And, and with music existing in the cloud now, um, you know, there's a concept in retail that if you give people too many options that it becomes overwhelming and they won't buy anything because mm -hmm. there's too many choices. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, socially a lot of us are feeling that with just the glut of music that's available right now. And the fact that you can get on Spotify and listen to anything in the world, True. which is an awesome power, but it can be a little overwhelming. And so mm -hmm. I think we're seeing a bit of a pendulum swing where people want to be more intentional with music they want to have some kind of a physical interaction with it and curate their own collection. 
and taste. And so that's really what we're all about. Yeah, yeah. So with yellow racket, I'm sorry, yellow racket. It's a bit of a tongue it twister a tongue too, twister. which is it another is reason twister. I liked it. Okay, I'm going to try again. <laughs> yellow racket records and music store. So you went from being a band to being a label mm -hmm. uh, where you represent other people and now the store where you have the, you know, the experience where people can come in, yeah. kind of take a step back in time and have like a really cool experience here. Yeah. What is your role within all of this? Uh, I do everything. I <laughs> am <laughs> um, I'm, uh, uh, I'm the owner and founder and uh, you know, I, I, we had two employees uh, in December, but I'm, I'm currently the only employee. One, one moved away and, and the other one is out because of medical reasons. Okay. And, um, and so I'm kind of doing everything. I work here during the day. I run the checkout. I receive records. I, I buy all the records uh, and, and sort them and, you know, check the conditions. And then that night I go home and I, you know, register artists' songs on, uh, you know, iTunes and Spotify and all those kind of things and run press campaigns and and then maybe try to write and record when I have time. Wow, wow, you're living a life, Ben. You're living a life. So Almost. tell me, um, what is, for, the, for our audience, explain to them what your product is here in the music store. Yeah, so uh, here in the brick and mortar space, the product is primarily vinyl records uh, and some CDs, some cassettes, that'll grow over time. But um, you know, uh, in, in terms of physical formats, vinyl is kind of like leading the pack right now. Um, and, uh, you know, we also have turntables and accessories that you would need for records, like cleaning supplies and sleeves and, and, and all that kind of thing. And we have our own merch and uh, band t-shirts and, you know, yellow racket t-shirts and things like that. And what genre of music is it? Uh, oh, it's everything. Uh, you know, we have classic rock, we have folk, we have gospel, classical, rap, hip-hop, R&B, soul, you know, so alternative. Do new albums come out on vinyl? All the time, yeah. Uh, right now we probably are split like 50-50, 60-40, like new records okay. uh, versus old records. So every single Friday new records uh, come out. Uh, that's international like release day. Um, so every single Friday we get, you know, brand new records out on the shelf. Super cool. And so you're like a one-stop shop. If someone is, is watching today and, or listening and they want to start their vinyl collection, they can come here, get some albums. They can get, get their first the turntable. Get yeah. the turntable. That's, that's cool. Yeah. So what is the price range? What can one expect to play for an album? Um, we got the, the cheapest albums we have in the store are 25 cents. And what? it goes all the way up to uh, like $200 for a record. Okay. Um, so, you know, when we get used records, we have like a bargain section and some stuff people just don't listen to anymore. Mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, they're, you, you know, they're a dime a dozen kind of records. Uh, and so we have our bargain section where you can kind of crate dig and dig for bargains. And you might find a, a scratched Beatles record in there or something as well. Or, you know, uh, a gem that's just like very well loved. And then um, you've got, you know, brand new records that typically will run anywhere from 18 to like $35, you know, for a, a new release from say like Lana Del Rey or Kendrick Lamar mm -hmm. or Radiohead or whatever. Um, and then you have uh, the side of, of things that's a, a little more of like a collector's game, you know, mm -hmm. things that are highly collectible. They were maybe like limited release or 
um, are out of print now, and so then you get records that are you know seventy, hundred and fifty, maybe two hundred dollars because they're just very rare. Mm -hmm. You know. Nice. And who would you say is your target consumers? <laughs> it's really people who love music so much that they want to own it, and uh, it's hard to limit it to a demographic because I have you know, 60 and 70 year old dudes who come in here all the time and never stop listening to vinyl. And uh, I've got kids who are probably 13, 14 years old who are coming in and building their collection for the first time. Wow. So, and we have so many different genres that it's, you know, that there's just so many, Is it, it there's mostly, something for everybody. Mostly mm -hmm. men and women? Is there? there a, yeah, uh, absolutely. Good mix, okay. Yeah, there, it's 50-50 I would say. So is your product available in different cities or do you have to physically be within Chattanooga? So, uh, you know, we signed the lease on this building the first week of March and then March 13th, the whole world shut down. Right. Uh, at least <laughs> that's when the U.S. shut everything down for the most part. Um, and uh, our plan had originally been to open in April, but we had to put that on hold. And we were seeing all these record stores around the country trying to figure out how to get their inventory online, some mm -hmm. of them for the first time because they never had to do e-commerce. Um, and so the silver lining for us was that we were still in startup and development phase. And so we went in and were able to design our point of sale system to be integrated with our e-commerce platform. So we launched our web store at the end of June uh, before we ever opened our doors. And so that's the long answer to yes, no matter where you are in the country, you can buy records and t-shirts and turntables from us. How was that adjustment for you? Are you getting a lot of business online now that you switched to e-commerce, um, now that you have that? A um, lot of people ask me that, and the amazing thing is, uh, no, online sales are um, maybe five to 10% of our total sales, um, which seems puzzling at a time like this. You'd think that it would be a much larger percentage, but I think that vinyl's a little bit exceptional in that People who listen to vinyl are typically doing it because they want to have a physical experience with music. Mm -hmm. It's not about convenience or else they'd be listening on Spotify. So uh, it makes sense that most of them would much rather flip through the racks and be here physically touching the records gotcha. than like, you know, scrolling through a web page. Yeah, yeah, totally. So um, you also have the how would you describe the, I guess it's not a product, but more so as a service as being a record label? Yeah, like? it, that's a, a very confusing thing to explain. Um, essentially, a record label deals in intellectual property. So um, it's a bit like a publisher that you can write a book and you've got this concept and then you're going to go out and look for somebody to make it available and promote it for you. Uh, and you're going to sign the rights to that book over to, to them for a while. And so the same thing happens with artists uh, where you can write a song and, and this also gets confusing because um, artists, even when they record something and sign the rights to a recording over to a record label, they still own the concept. They mm -hmm. still own the intellectual property of the song itself, no matter who covers it, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody could sing that exact same song and it's still owned by that artist. So. Record labels represent um, the recording side of the industry and then publishers represent the, the songwriting side of the industry. So all that is to say, we come in and we work with artists uh, whose music we really like and help them release their recordings into the world and promote it and, and just try to get traction around their careers. And they license that music over to us for a period of time and, and we have kind of a 
uh, I'd call it, I guess, like a profit sharing mm -hmm. arrangement in doing that. Yeah. And what genres would you say you represent? Um, on the label side of things, uh, it's, it's a little bit of a mixed bag, um, but, uh, you know, I've got, uh, I've got artists who are doing a lot of, uh, I've got an artist who's primarily doing electronic music and, and like beats and, and kind of electronic pop. Uh, and then I've got artists who are doing kind of uh, alternative, you know, grunge, mm -hmm. you know, kind of upper northwest rock. And then uh, I've got an artist who's based in uh, Lisbon, Portugal, and is originally from Brazil. And so his music has this these inflections of like bossa nova and fado and, and Latin music. Mm. Um, but if you listen to them all, you're like, oh, I get why this, this <laughs> I get what unifies them. It's a little hard to explain, but. Cool. And other, other than the pandemic, um, what other challenges have you had to overcome as a business owner? Oh, boy. Um, you know, uh, just finding people who uh, believe in you is, is uh, certainly a huge challenge, especially when you're doing something in, uh, in an industry that's perceived as being very risky or not very profitable you know the music industry seems like a high-risk bet for for investors so when I when it came to trying to start the record store here I had so many people say oh I'd like to be involved in your real estate but I don't want to be involved in mm. in a record store you know uh, and and so it was it was a hard sell and, and, and you know I, I put together these presentations with hard numbers you know talking about you know you, hey, 27 million records were sold in the U.S. last year, mm -hmm. and uh, you know this is the like this is the market potential that we have in Chattanooga, and we should you know it, in theory there should be about 30,000 records sold in Chattanooga every year, and and you can hit people with these numbers, but if uh, if they don't if they don't feel it, I, I think most investors just go with their gut. Mm -hmm. um, so it has definitely been a huge challenge to to try to um, kind of en enlist help. Uh, with with a venture like this you know it's not as predictable as like you know food and beverage or mm -hmm. real estate or you know like a record store and a label that sounds crazy to most <laughs> investors especially outside of a big city you know you know what's so unique about it though I don't think that I know of any other record stores right now in Chattanooga I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad there, thing yeah there are a couple but um, but yeah, I mean, for, for years, and part of it, you know, I have the advantage of being on the inside and knowing lots of people who buy records and play music and care mm -hmm. about this sort of thing. And so, I, like, I knew there was room in the market for another record store. Yeah. Um, but it seems uh, like they were, like, popular, maybe, like, more so in, like, the 90s, you know, mm -hmm. maybe early 80s, and then they kind of, you know, people, yeah. because people started getting their music online or whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, but I like that you're bringing it back. I like that, yeah. you know, it, it just has a sweet vibe about it, you yeah. know? Well, I mean, records have, have, um, have grown so much in the last decade. Uh, record sales have grown um, like 27% year over year for the last 12 years. Um, and, and so it was, on the one hand, like I had the gut feeling that I knew it was gonna work because I knew people, but also, like had the statistics and the trends and the numbers to, to back it up and be like, well, this is a pretty safe, you know, business mm -hmm. bet, right? And we, you know, we opened uh, at the end of August and between August and um, 
in the end of the year, so in four months, we sold 6,000 records, you know, and it was... That's impressive. It was like, oh, it's working. So like, some of those investors <laughs> were like, shoot, I should have went with it. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> well, it, it's a really, I mean, I'm just blown away by the space. The space, you know, we definitely have to get a tour of the space so that people can see what I'm talking about, but it's three spaces in one, um, built in what year? 1910. 1910. Yeah. I, I just, I love everything about it. I really do. Um, I guess my next question would be, do you have a mentor in the business? You know, I have folks that I kind of call on uh, for help from time to time, but there isn't really like a consistent presence. There's nobody who's like checking in mm -hmm. on, on a weekly basis or, you know, offering, um, you know, ongoing support. Um, so I'm, you know floundering a little bit and just guessing, doing a lot of guessing. I think this is the right thing to do. Yeah, I mean, that's what entrepreneurs <laughs> yeah. do. But know? I mean, you know, early on I had a lot of support from the folks at uh, CoLab and, you know, I had, um, you know, different advisors who, who would, uh, you know, agree to sit down and, and meet with me for, for coffee. Um, but I think especially, that became especially difficult after the pandemic hit because you could, you know, you weren't, nobody, nobody could meet face to face. Yeah. Yeah. anymore and so we I kind of just got thrown into it and just sort of had to roll up my sleeves and just kind of make it happen at that point point. and let's talk about that so you after the pandemic you you definitely added the e-commerce part of your business what else changed um well there's a you know we we had a lot um of ideas integrated into a single concept at the outset and and we were planning on uh not only having a record store here but trying to diversify our income by um, making this a coffee shop and uh, and having like you know uh, in-store performances and shows here and, and things things of that nature um, and, and you know if you look at this space uh, it's not much to look at but that's because it will eventually be our coffee shop space one of these days okay. uh, and we'll have a stage on one end so you know we can have touring artists come through and, and do in-store performances and things like that um, and then we also have a, a tattoo artist who set up shop over on the other side. So we had kind of this convergence of ideas, the coffee shop, the tattoo shop, the records that were all kind of helping to make this a place that people just wanted to hang out, right? I want to hang out. Right, yeah. Like whether or not you buy records, like yeah. it's just a fun, it could be just a fun place to come and get a cup of coffee with a friend, right? Totally. Um, so the whole business plan was kind of predicated on on, on that idea of having these multiple channels of income, but also like appeal for many different kinds of people. Um, and the pandemic suddenly meant that we weren't, that all the tours got canceled. Artists that I had been talking to about coming and playing shows mm -hmm. for our grand opening, all the tours were, were done, nobody was coming. Uh, and uh, you know, nobody's really hanging out at coffee shops uh, right now, not the way they were, were before. And I didn't want to steal any of the existing coffee shops business in town because they're having a hard enough time as it is. So all that is to say we had to put a lot of those things on hold um, and just rely on records to sort of carry us through. And that was a little bit scary because like I knew the numbers, but I, I really thought that the business in order for it to work had to have all of those things. It had to be an experience mm -hmm. like you talked about. So that's that's been kind of the the main challenge. Yeah, I think just coming into the record store to me, it was an experience. Like I think, you know, of course, once you have all three areas functioning, it's going to be amazing. Um, but I, I think that the record store is, 
is good in itself. I well, mean, thank it's you. so it's so well thought and and put together. Um, were you able to benefit from any sort of um, assistance due to the pandemic, like the PPE or anything like that? You know, what was wild about that. Um, I'm not sure if it was if nobody thought about it, but um, basically most of the assistance, government assistance that was made available, uh, required you to prove that you had lost income. So anybody who was in the middle of starting a business or who was in startup mode like us and couldn't provide, you know, one, two, three years of income, they basically said like tough luck. So I applied uh, and, and, you know, I did get like a small grant from the, uh, I think it was the FEIA. But, you know, all of the PPP um, and most of the, you know, there were even local grants from like ArtsBuild and things like that you had to be able to prove that you'd lost income. So for us, it was like, hey, you were broke before. Guess what? You're still broke. <laughs> <laughs> and before I let you go, Ben, good point. But I mean, you're, you're doing great here. Well, thank you. And maybe with this next round, you may be able to qualify for this next round of stimulus support. You know? Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> we shall see. Um, what's the one piece of advice that you would offer to someone who is trying to get their vision up and, up and running? Um, I think the biggest piece of advice that I would offer is uh, do your best to find somebody who believes in your vision and is, you know, willing to walk the road with you. Um, it is, uh, as I talked about before, you know, anytime that you gain some freedom, you give up a little bit of security. And the end result is that can, it can be very isolating. Mm. And, um, and that's... Uh, exacerbated in a time like this when all, everybody's already feeling isolated. Mm -hmm. So I would just really encourage entrepreneur, entrepreneurs to find partners, find people who believe in your vision and are willing to go the full mile with you. Awesome advice. Yeah. Awesome advice. Have you found those people? Uh, not as yet. Not as yet? <laughs> okay. Keep searching. They'll come. They'll come. So for all our viewers listening and watching, you will receive a 10% discount on your next purchase with Yellow Racket Records. Please visit yellowracketcha.com and use the code hashtag mall for a discount on your next purchase. Ben, I've learned so much. This is my new hangout spot. I will be here. Um, I feel like this place is awesome. It really Thank reminds you. me of like, I feel like I'm somewhere else. I don't feel like I'm in Chattanooga when I'm here. Uh, so I, I wish you nothing but the best. I know that people are going to be attracted to you and to your concept, and it's going to be super successful, and the best is yet to come. Thank you so much for your time today, Ben. Thank you, Tanisha. I've really enjoyed it. So until next time, we want to thank Ben, and best of luck to him in the future. Special thanks to our lead sponsor, Colab, for supporting our show. Visit them at www.colab.co. Thank you all for tuning in today for another episode of Behind Business Trends, new edition podcast powered by Hashtag Mall Network. Be sure to follow us on social media at Behind Business Trends. I'm your host, Tanisha Irvin, signing off.